Hi, and welcome to another episode of Conversation with a Chef. I'm Joe Ritty, and I love sharing with you the conversations I get to have with talented and passionate chefs. It's the backstory, if you will, to the food they're putting up. I often have to pinch myself that all these incredible chefs are happy to sit down and chat to me. I'm very lucky. Sometimes I contact a chef I'd like to talk to, and then on the way to the chat, I have that whole imposter syndrome thing where I think, hang on a minute. This person's actually a really big deal. Who do I think I am? That's what happened on the tram on my way into the Melbourne CBD to talk to Joe Varghetto. He is a big deal. He represented Australia in the International Boku's Dog competition in 2001, has written a beautiful cookbook telling the story of his Sicilian heritage and how that fits within the Australian context. He has two very successful and long-standing restaurants, has worked with top chefs around the world and is himself a top chef with seemingly boundless energy, drive, and a love for hospitality. As soon as Joe came out of the kitchen, well, apart from the fact he was looking for a guy because of my name, the conversation flowed, and I felt as though I'd made a new friend. With people like Joe around, Melbourne hospitality is in very good hands. I recorded this on Friday afternoon at Massey, Joe's City restaurant. It was the first Friday Massey was open after a year of being shut down due to the pandemic, and it had been a busy lunch. The background noise in this recording is pretty loud, but it's an absolute testament to the fact that Joe's guests did not want to leave and were very happy sitting around ordering more Campari and living life like it's golden. You'd only just reopened yes, on the yes, 12th, yes. so I'm sorry. It probably was a really bad timing on my part. That's okay. No, that's fine. No problem. Just finishing up the service, so it's yeah. good. Perfect. Lovely. I'm just to let you know that I'm recording this because mm-hmm. I use it for the podcast as well as to write right. the transcript. Um, so, well, how was lunch today? First Friday lunch back. First Friday lunch back was pretty big. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think I um, underestimated um, the love of uh, this restaurant. So this restaurant's been open for six years. Yeah. Obviously one of those years was closed. So we closed on the 27th of March and we didn't reopen until last week. So we did a few little functions leading up, yeah. private functions and so on, just to you know, clean everything, get everything back in order, check the gas lines, check everything else that was going on. Um, there wasn't that much cleaning to be done. Uh, we left it in a really good state, but I um, I kind of tested the waters and asked a few people around here. I said, "Oh, we, they're like especially the um, the barber," and she said, "Oh, it's fantastic that you're that you're opening because a lot of people have been asking when is it going to open. Hopefully, they haven't closed, but there's no real use kind of opening like the start of the start of the year because it was after Christmas." Wanted, the people that had come into the city had, had vanished to go to holidays in the sense of regional areas and, and so on. Leading up to Christmas, um, there was a lot of euphoria because it was not just uh, the breakups on it. There was a few breakups, you know, breakup uh, function parties and so on. It was also summer. It was also yeah. Christmas. And it was also the biggest one was that for people to get out and. A lot of people weren't coming into the city still. They were just enjoying the, the time in the suburbs. And a lot of, like my other restaurant in, in Kew, um, you know, we've, we've created a real, a real big following as well. 
uh, in the sense because you know we open straight right through, we're yes. delivering food to, to everyone in the local area, <clears throat> and I think they're showing us they're, they're showing how much they enjoyed our, you know helping them out, um, and then maybe because everyone's coming back into the city, it's a bit like they're pushing people into the city. Oh, how was it? How was it? Oh, yeah, so another person's coming yeah. in. How, oh, you know, I remember coming in probably August when it was in a really heavy lockdown. And I swear to God, no lie, I reckon I saw four people. Yeah. And those four people were coming off the tram and cleaning the poles. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, I guess, too, with... Um, I mean, hardly any office workers coming back to work in the city as well. You wouldn't have a Friday lunchtime like this, or what you know, a few months ago. But now, people are coming in to work yeah. a lot more, and yeah, yeah. And I think they've actually missed it. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty much over the sense of where people are at with their lives as well. I think a lot of the, a lot of people have enjoyed the home, home kind of situation, but now it's getting to the point becoming a bit reclusive so they want to see other people uh, I've seen how some have lost their ability to socialize I've seen people's now that we don't really need the social distancing and you know in the great great in that extended amount how people are kind of avoiding everyone and maybe it just shows when I've what I've seen as well is the, the total human condition from how others have tried to help, how others have tried to abuse the system, how others have tried to um, uh, take advantage of others or make make a profit of, out of others because they're you know trying to sell, uh, trying to buy things in a, in a time where others are uh, kind of down on their luck. Um, so for me, kind of still being very active, you know, because of Mr. Bianco, uh, yeah, you've seen the kind of the whole extent of, I call it the human condition. I don't know if that's a, a well, term to say it, but... Absolutely, and I think um, it's interesting how some of these events can affect the way that we behave, and uh, I was in Christchurch, I'm from Christchurch, and I was in Christchurch for the earthquakes, and, um, and some of the... Um, the fallout, the human fallout from that years on is, you know, I shouldn't say it's surprising, maybe it shouldn't be surprising, but just some of the things that in the way people behave, you wouldn't have thought that, that would be uh, something you think about earthquakes as being a natural disaster, you think about pandemics being kind of a, I suppose, a human natural disaster, but yeah, and when you actually get to watch the progression, it is fascinating, frightening. <laughs> Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the thing was, a couple of weeks ago, I got the, the jab, the, the COVID, Ooh. the COVID injection, and such great interest. Like people always ask, "So what did you get? You're going to die? Oh, you know, I heard a lot of." <laughs> what kind like, of question? Yeah, it's, it's a bit like saying as well. Oh, you got into a car? Did you die? You know? Yeah. Oh, did you get into a plane? Did you die? Are uh, you sick? The cases, the amount of cases of, of deaths are really, really small, comparatively. But I always, I, I've always said, the actual jab as well doesn't, doesn't stop the, the transmission. So you may, you may not die from COVID, but you're still going to pass it on. 
there's only a 30% chance, 30% decrease of transmission. So we really haven't solved any of the problems. No. No? That's the biggest one. I just came in on the tram and I was, um, I thought one of the, um, the outcomes that I hadn't expected was a new trend in tagging. Someone's gone around tagging Pfizer onto walls, oh, right. like a graffiti. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah. Um, so, in terms of you and, and hospitality, I was going to say too that um, congratulations on your cookbook. It's oh, thank you. beautiful. Oh, right. And just the whole look of it is so sleek. And 240 pages is a, that's a big book. Was that a real, did it take you a long time to put that all together? Um, it's taken me, I think. Probably 16 years, but not like 16 years doing it. It's like I've, I was asked to do a book probably about 16, 16 years ago. But I kind of thought, and I don't want to be too political, I kind of thought uh, if I'm going to write a book, I need to write something that it's of worth. Um, and it needs to be something that I'm going to be proud of. I need, I need to leave kind of a legacy, and especially your first one. The first one needs to be something of you're telling a story, and you're telling a story of not just your cooking, but also trying to bring people together, trying to trying to do something, because what's written in is... is so I had the chance to do a book but, uh, a couple of times, but I never really wanted to do those ones. Like, if, you want to make, if you want to make spaghetti bolognese, right? you can get on the Google, and you can learn how to do whatever. But if, the book to me is something that it's really kind of me. It's a, you know, the sleek black outside is basically what I wear all the time. I just wear black all the time. Um, and the designer spent probably a few weeks with me, and we were going down the path of this kind of you know cover of you know a few acknowledgements and bits and pieces. And then he came with this black thing. Like, no. And then we went from there. So it was a bit of a punt from the publisher as well. Uh, but he he kind of came around and uh, wanted to wanted you know wanted to do it. And it's been selling really really well. Oh yeah, you've got hit a second. Yeah, um, yeah there's been a second run, print run. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it's not a huge it's not a huge print run. We're talking probably ten thousand. Like there's others that are you know. Do, you know but. I well, I, I wondered because it looks like one of those notebook, those nice journal. Um, slip notebook journal. journal. Yeah. And I wondered, is that how you yes. keep your notes and things? So I wanted to ha have something that people can hold, mm. so they could put the pages in and hold, and something that um, it looks, it looks uh, like they want to put it in the kitchen or have it on the table or something way, way different than you know, all these kind of things at the front and. You know, cliche bits. Yeah. Yeah. You can always, you can always put another kind of paper cover around it if you have to. You know, but uh, it's no, it's beautiful. It's very yeah, yeah. It's, and it's lovely too. I think, um, and obviously Siciliano is you and your heritage and so on. Yeah. So what it's about is basically my parents coming over here in 1956, and the story not just of them but also the story of Australia. How back then you couldn't get anything that was remotely Italian. Um, 
and it just is a kind of a, a two-pronged effect where it's the story of them being Australian, but it's also the story of Australia being multicultural. So it's a kind of melding of these two and three and four types of five, six, seven, eight different kind of cultures all, you know, all melding together in Australia. But then um, how it was very, very difficult to get anything Italian. To a point now you can get anything Italian. And now the, uh, our, like my guests or you know, the clientele really want the next and third step of, of, of Italian cookery. They want to understand the regions, not just Italy. They want to understand you know, where things are from really from not just uh, oh it's Italian food, you know? yeah so what are the key elements of Sicilian the key elements is uh, spontaneity that's one of the key elements <laughs> the second key element is uh, exquisite produce exquisite produce that's that's um, grown um, in small batches let's say or small lots and each, each of that produce has its own individual um, style, like onions and carrots and, and that. And the next, the next is basically understanding the, the season the, and the, the vibe of the food as well. It's very important is that um, when cooking the food, you want to do it because you're actually excited about cooking rather than just it's something I want to learn once you've learned it put it aside but the second time you come back you have to relearn it again so it's really just that's that's the dish but you learn those processes and then you can you can transfer it onto other dishes or take other flavors and make and create your personalized uh, elements as well you know sure. you can take a bit of this a bit of this how to make cavatelli here and how to braise something over there and create your own personal and you have a, a, a very simple but yet delicious uh, repertoire. Yeah. yeah. So I imagine, well, I'm imagining from a from a you know New Zealander with English and Scottish her- heritage, I always imagine that people that with Italian or Sicilian yeah. heritage, um, that your childhood was full of food and mm-hmm. cooking and yes. all that kind of thing. Can you tell me a bit about what it was like growing up with your yeah, and your family? So, um, good question. Because <laughs> my next time, so I. So I I grew up in a, in a in an area where it wasn't conventionally Italian. It was Scottish, English. Next door neighbour was uh, Janet Ferguson and Jim Ferguson, Scottish uh, from Edinburgh, 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 Edinburgh. And um, next door neighbours were English. So we were slap bang in, a, in an area where number one, mum couldn't get really very much produce or anything like that. And number two, it was also a kind of a time where a lot of the Italians were in the media for all the wrong reasons. You know, the, the organized crime and, and all those things in Griffiths. And, and mum used to make all these different things like oregano and all these bits and pieces. And Jim and Janet thought, you know, look at that, they're growing. Or they're drawing oregano, must be like marijuana and, <laughs> and so on. And, and she, we were doing a lot of stuff in the backyard. So all the pickling, all the salami, sausages, frugos, passati, everything was always in the backyard. There was always a hive of activity in the backyard, growing vegetables in the back. And Jim and Janet would always look over the fence, kind of, oh, what are you doing now? What are you doing now? What's that? What's that? Like, you know, sun drying tomatoes on the, on the roof of the garage. And, 
So I grew up in a, in a you know, literally, I didn't understand a supermarket. You know, mum would go to the supermarket maybe to get flour, but she'd never go to the supermarket to get bread. And she'd make her own bread, and I would go to school with this weird looking bread, and I'd get picked on because of that. So, you know, tip top, and like, it would never ever be tip top in, in a, or any kind of sliced bread. So that's really, in essence, how well, that's my, my, my upbringing is that I grew up in a very, let's say, Anglo area, and my, the food that I was doing was very, very alien. You know? uh, but then it was strange because as we all grew up, they wanted what I was eating, I wanted what they were eating. Yeah, of course. So, yeah. Yeah. But you didn't um, initially think that you would be a chef, you started a commerce degree, is it? That's right, yeah. yeah. So I, learned, I, I uh, went to university and um, I was good at it, no doubt. I was bored. Yeah. I was really bored. And I always, I didn't know it at the time or this philosophy at the time, but I think if you do something you really, really enjoy, you'll be good at it. If, you don't, if you're doing something that you really don't enjoy, you'll force yourself to kind of be good at it. But eventually, the, I think the twig is going to break, where you're either going to resent yourself or resent the people around you or whatever the situation is. And I think you're probably slowly, slowly, whether depressed or, you know, you probably have some sort of, I don't know, kind of a mental issue that you hate what you do. Because work and artisan and, and doing things that you have relevance makes you happy. Now, if you do something and people say, that's really good or I really enjoyed that, it makes you happy. But if you do something and you hate what it is, and people even compliment on it, it goes, yeah. So, and I know a lot of my friends, they got into law and accounting, yeah, they're great at it. Mm. Oh, I can hate it. Yeah. Hate it. Absolutely. Um, absolutely hate it. Um, so, the funny thing was, I think I have a very strange mind in the sense of I'm very good at bookwork or uh, studies. But I'm also good at kind of um, being very creative, coming up with ideas, and you know, going for it, never kind of relenting, and, and my my thirst for results and, uh, is is unwavered. So I think that's what that's maybe the mix between all these different things. Are. Yeah, well, I was going to say, what what is it about um, being a chef that yeah that really appeal to you? But I guess it's those things that creativity and the fact that you're constantly learning. So obviously. You have achieved great accolades with the Bocuse Dog and, um, and having two restaurants that are very well spoken of. Is that, Thank you. But you seem very calm, you know, so you're not... You, how, how, have you, how, how have you... That's just what you do. And I, I've also seen photos of you on a bike, so obviously yeah, yeah, well-being exactly. is part of your I, I, thing as I well. I think the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm not always on calm but I think the reason why I am is that I like the, I kind of like the fast lane. Yeah. So like sitting down for me is calm. Like yeah, I like doing many things at once, um, and I think I'm very confident in, in what I do. And it's not the fact that it's egotistical. It's just that I'm confident because it's, I have, I've been doing this for now. 
27 years from when I was 20, let's say, 19. And I think, I think I've said to myself, if people don't like it, it's either I've got to look at myself and say, well, if people don't like it, there's probably a reason for it. But if people do like it, continue the formula. You know, enjoy what you're doing. Uh, and people around you that you like working with or you like being with. So there's, there's definitely a lot of team here and at, at Mr. Bianco. I like that. You know, I like going to work. You know, I like, uh, and I think the bike, bike as well, gives me an, an element of, you know, any second you can get, you can get hit by a car. You oh. can get, you know. <laughs> You know, so it wasn't what I was expecting, but yes, that no, is true. Yes, you, you can. can. You can get hit by a car. You're literally this far away from a truck, and, and I've been hit a couple of times. You know, one even a doctor said to me that I don't know how you're still here, Joe. Like another second, if you were in your intersection a second or two seconds earlier, you'd probably have to go downstairs to find your body, Joe, in the hospital. So I think I've kind of been stepped around that. It's just not slapped around, but you know, in the sense I've had all, all those experiences. That I enjoy it. Yeah. I enjoy being in the kitchen. And the thing is, I don't have, I don't have to be here in the kitchen. I actually like being here in the kitchen. That's right. You know? Yeah. I like cutting, chopping, cooking. There's a lot of chefs that don't. They resent what they do. They hate what they do. And that's why they're kind of angry. Because they try to get out of the kitchen or they're trying to do what you know what they're trying to pursue, but they can't because I always say is that you lay your foundations when you're early, you're young or early that hopefully blossom it's all a razor risk, but hopefully blossom and get older. And then some of those uh, sacrifices in your early life come to fruition. And you travelled quite a lot when and worked overseas when yeah. you were younger as I well. Do you with think some of the some of the greats like that? And it wasn't easy to work in those kitchens. It was, you know, it was like military on steroids, you know. So maybe that was it as well. Like just having that interaction or situations where, you know, every day you go to work and you go, I've got to do better, I've got to do better, I've got to challenge myself, I have to do, I have to, you know. And again, kitchens are all about timing, timing about. Uh, which is very, very important. Oh, yeah. Um, I think too, I think what, I'm gl- what I gleaned from looking through your, stalking you on Instagram is yeah. um, just the people aspect is obviously really important for you and you've made some really great connections over the years and I like that you celebrate that. So you celebrate your staff and you, there's a lovely photo of you with Philippe Rochel and I, yeah. um, with your book, giving him your book. Yes, yes, yes. And I just think that's really important as well, those connections. And surely that's what hospitality is, about human connections. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. it is. Absolutely, is. There's no, there's no doubt about that you can't. Because what you have to think about is that when you come into someone's restaurant, is that you come into actually someone's extended dining room. So it's either you say, "Okay, I am yours for this evening. I would love to uh, uh, experience what you have," or you can go in and say, "I want this or want this." And you know what? You're probably not going to have a good time because you're you're demanding something. From, a, from an established from an established restaurant, they're not then they're not um, really ready to do because it's not in their repertoire. They they can cook you a well done steak, it's all right. But uh, or you want something from this and something of there, but it's it's it hasn't been geared, it hasn't been practiced, it hasn't been so on. So it's probably going to come off all wrong, you know. So I always say, if you go into someone's house. 
don't go in and say, oh, you know, your life could have been different over there. And they don't like your couch. And don't like that. They're gonna, you're gonna feel a, a you know, yeah. And there's all, you know, some restaurants that are just there to make money. There are some restaurants that are there to, um, you know, really give the guest a beautiful time. There are some restaurants that are, you know, staunchly do what they do, and if you don't like it, you can, you know. But I'm more of a thing. I can accommodate anyone to a point, but this, at some point, it's really going to be difficult for me, for me to do that because I don't either have it in house or. We just don't use it. We don't, we don't just do that. Yeah. And I mean, you've obviously got a tried and true recipe for your restaurants as well. Thank yep. you. Um, and and when you talk about spontaneity as being a key element, how does that um, transpose to your menus? Are you uh, changing them often? Are you? Is it, does it come through? Oh, yeah. and, menu. I think menus are one of these things that um, you need to really pay homage to your. I think your regular clientele. And you need to change your, I think your 30, 30% of the menu very often and some things need to stay there and make all the time. So when there's something you do, you do really well, don't change it. Yeah. Keep it on. People want to come here for the, for the signature dish, let's say. If it's, really, if it's really good, they'll keep on coming there over and over again yeah. because of those, of those dishes. But there are... There are seasons as well, so you need to incorporate uh, elements of your of your menu, which is celebrating, which is celebrating uh, um, the seasons as well. There are some things that you can get kind of all year round, but there are some things that you need to kind of celebrate, like you know, let's say pine mushrooms at the moment. We're in season now, so you really want to, you know, say okay, it's pine mushroom now, or it's like. Ridley pear season now, or it's that now, so you kind of uh, manipulate the menu to always kind of have all these heroes on the menu. Yeah. And what would you be? What would be your advice for any young people who were thinking about becoming a chef? Great question, and I think my advice is that you need to first make a decision: is that do you want to do this? And if the answer is yes then you have to give it 135,000%. Because there's not like, there's this industry, like in any industry, to get to the top, you need to work harder. You can't just get to the top by lagging, lagging your way up or lying. Because there's going, I always say there's always going to be days where it's kind of judgment day. And in restaurants, the judgment day is every day. Because your guests come in, they try the food, the service, the atmosphere, the ambience, and the generosity. So you can't kind of, you can have a really good profile on Instagram, and, you know, out there, but the real, the real take is the word of mouth. And that's, you can't buy word of mouth, you can't buy a, 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 an, ad, an advertisement. Um, you can get influencers and things like that to come in and talk, whatever. But you're then, you're then in, in, um, having people into your into your restaurant, so they've heard it's great. But if they come, it's crap. It's actually doing more detriment, you know, because bad news spreads faster than good news. So if good news is going at this speed, bad news is going at this speed. You know? So uh, my my biggest advice is that. 
focus on your craft. Try to create a style, whether it be front of house or back of house, and pursue that. You know, really pursue it. Really give it a go. Don't go uh, kind of halfway or oh, I didn't like it because of that person or this person. Blame yourself, I think. Don't blame blame others for your what? And then blame yourself if you're and then blame yourself if you're good as well. Yeah. You know, really give yourself compliments. Because um, Yeah. So work work no, I wouldn't say work hard like every day, burn yourself out. But you need to give yourself to your profession. If you can, great. Because it's either you're gonna work hard early in your life and you may get the fruits of your labours later on. Or if you get to, I don't know, 40, 45 or something like that and go, oh, I wish I could have done that, I wish I could have done that. It's too late. Yeah. That's great. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Conversation with a Chef with Joe Vargetto at Massey. If you want to experience all the greatness for yourself, which of course you do, you can find Joe at 445 Little Collins Street in the city or at Mr Bianco on High Street in Kew. And check out the photos of some of the dishes on Instagram at Joey Vargetto. As for me, I'm also on Instagram at Conversation with a Chef. And if you want to read the chat, you can head to www.conversationwithachef.com. I would absolutely love it if you told a friend about my chats. And of course, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or click follow on Spotify so I know you're there. Once again, thank you. Have a great day and see you next time.